Hey folks, I'm Clayton Collins, the CEO at HW Media. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Vikas Gupta, the CEO of Azebo. And we're gonna talk about the rental market. We're talking about rental data, the information that Vikas and his team at Azebo are seeing through their platform, which provides financial services and property management solutions to single family rental and rental property homeowners. So the really cool part about that is they're actually seeing transactions which gives them a glimpse into the, the health of the renter and some data we don't get to see in many places. Um, this episode gives us a lot of information about building a technology, software, and financial services solution in the housing industry, but also some of the incredible insights that you're able to gain from a software platform in the housing sector that helps us better understand the health of the market. I hope you enjoy today's episode with Vikas Gupta. All right, Vikas, wonderful to have you on Housing News. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I have to say, when we were introduced and I started doing some research on you and your business, Azebo, I noticed that Gregor Watson's a co-founder and I've had the, the pleasure of, of meeting him and getting to know him through the Gary Beasley and the Roofstock team. Uh, I actually met him initially at the Roofstock Dallas grand opening of their office years ago. Uh, it's a distinct memory for me. Um, but I'm excited. I'm excited to hear the story. How, where, like, how, where Gregor fits and uh, the founding story at Aziva. Yeah, no, happy to tell you. So, so I'm not the founder, um, but I'll tell you the founding story, and then I can tell you how I got involved because that's also an interesting story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Gregor's a great guy. Um, and so the three founders of Azebo are Gregor, Rob Blumker, who's his partner at One Sharp, and then our founding CEO Chris Shu. Um, and the three of them had this idea, uh, that there's an opportunity back in 2018 to build a modern property management financial services company for what has traditionally been an underserved market. So the independent real estate investor in the United States and our founding CEO, Chris Shu, like is the prototypical Azebo customer. Right. He has a full-time job. He has about 15 to 20 units of investment property real estate. It's in a bunch of different cities. He self-manages. And he's trying to make that all work while also having a family and a full-time job. Um, now, from his background, he he worked, he was in the army, then he started buying property. Uh, then he worked a series of very high-profile corporate consulting private equity jobs. Like he's a spreadsheet spreadsheet ninja. So he was doing all this in Excel and he thought, all right, like, why do I need to build my own, basically build my own software in Excel? Like there should actually be software for this. Um, and so came Azebo. And so we are a unified property management financial services platform for independent real estate investors in the United States. Okay. So Unified property management software and financial services solutions. That's a that's a big it's a a, a big uh, problem to solve and a big uh, product area to operate in. So talk about where Azebo kind of starts and stops as a solution for owner operators of these uh, kind of small to medium sized portfolios of rental assets. 
So we started and our core as a company is financial services, it is rent collection, banking, and a suite, um, automated rent collection. And you know that may not sound all that fancy, but when you get sort of into the specific nuances of what that means for this for this specific type of investor, that could be support for you know multiple legal entities within one account. It's multiple different bank accounts because they often have one bank account per yeah. property or at least one bank account um, per legal entity. It's uh, automated notifications. It's automated late fees. It's the support to manage leases with multiple different terms so that you're not keeping a list of when different tenants and when their rent payments are due and checking them off and texting them yourself and chasing it all down yourself. And then from a accessibility of financial services, in a traditional check-based world, like you collected checks. Uh, no one wants to write checks anymore. Like talk to anyone under the age of you know, 40 or maybe even 50, like who wants to write a check anymore? They may, they may have never even written a check before, but still 75% are rents on check. So get away from check, um, ACH or card, debit or credit cards. So multiple payment options and then integrated renter's insurance. And we've launched a credit boost product that's seeing a lot of adoption by tenants. Again, that's a product that traditionally was only available through institutional property management software. And now this class, which is half the housing stock in the United States, these tenants have the ability to build their credit by paying their rent on time. It's a huge, huge value add for them. So that's sort of like, I sort of like crossed a bunch of things just talking about rent collection, but that's sort of what we mean by like combining the property management tooling with the financial services. Then we have integrated banking. Um, our customers can either link third-party bank accounts or they can use the bank account that we offer or a combination of both. The advantage of using our bank account is it's easy to open. So you can easily set up that like streamlined structure of one bank account per property. Um, and then you can do your bill pay through us. And then when you do your bill pay through us, you in the act of paying your bills, you assign that specific bill to a property, you categorize it by expense category, bam, your bookkeeping is done. And then all that feeds into the purpose-built accounting software so that you can set up rules to tag your transactions, right? For a lot of these, the bank statement is the general ledger because it's all cash-based accounting. So we suck in all the third-party transactions. You have the bank transactions from us, set up rules to auto-tag, and then you get real-time reporting. You get your P&L, you get your rent roll, you get your T12, you get your cash flow statement. At the end of the year, you get your Schedule E, you get your balance sheet, you get your Schedule of CapEx, and it's all there. It's all out of the box. And you can really automate it. And we have customers who are saving 5, 10, even upwards of 20 hours a month by using our software. And we give it all away for free. So Okay. So free is a, a tough business model. So let's talk a little bit more about how the how the financial revenue model works for, mm -hmm. for Aziva. Yeah. No, that's a great question. So we give away all the software for free. And then we have various embedded offerings where we're able to monetize. So take rent collection, for instance. ACH is completely free, free to the landlord, free to the renter. But if the renter wants to pay on card, we yeah. charge a small convenience fee for that. Um, for the Credit Boost product, we offer two months free and then it's $4.99 a month, um, which is, I think, a great deal considering that you can get up to a 60-point boost on your credit score just by reporting your rent and think about what 60 points can be worth on a car loan or on a mortgage loan down the road. Massive savings for $4.99 a month. Uh, we sell renter's insurance. Um, we're a fully licensed PNC insurance agency. So we get the agent commission on that. Again, if the, if the real estate investor requires renter's insurance, the renter has the option of buying it through us 
or they can bring their own and upload it. We don't require it, but we make it convenient and easy. And then we take the agent commission on that. So there's there's a whole host of sort of like those types of optional embedded services that provide additional value to the customer that if they choose to use them, we make our money that way. But we feel like, you know what? The core software offering should be available for free. Okay. So you're a licensed PNC agent. That makes a lot of sense. We talked a little bit about banking earlier and you said you have mm-hmm. a bank option. I'm I'm going to make the assumption you don't have a bank charter, but is that a partnership or are you in fact a, a bank at the same time? Uh, no, we're not a bank. So that is through a partnership. The underlying yeah. bank is Piermont Bank. Okay. Um, they have a bank charter. The accounts are fully FDIC insured. Um, and like a lot of other sort of modern fintechs out there, we are the front end but yep. the underlying bank is Piermont. Okay, that's really interesting. And then on Credit Boost, and I know our team at Housing Wire has covered this pretty extensively. I just don't have all the details in front of me. Accepting rental history is a relatively new addition to the, the credit scoring process, correct? Correct, yep. It's yeah, really so what, only taken off, I think, in the last 10 years. And it's really, I mean, it, like the big, big increase has been in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I, I even in the last year, it's made yeah. made like many more headlines. How important is that credit boost capability to your landlords? And like, are they asking? Um, are, do they have like tenants that are like saying, "Hey, I want to make sure like I have like uh, credit reporting for this rental history," or like, what's kind of like the demand flow look like there? Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's certainly something we hear. Um, like, we've gotten feedback from our landlord customers that beyond sort of the core feature functionality, workflow automation, quality of life improvements, we give them the ability to offer these benefits to their renters is really appealing to them. It makes them stand out um, in the market. Um, And we've heard that, you know, renters are now increasingly aware of this as an option and they want it um, because, right? Like it's it's an additional trade line that doesn't require debt. Like most historically, if you wanted to build your credit, you had to go take debt to build your credit. And now you can do it by getting credit for something that you have to pay every month. That's really interesting. I I, I want to get in and talk about like the broader housing market and the rental market and all the data that you're seeing flow through the platform. But I like I'm so interested in the 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 business at this stage. I want to dig a, l- a little bit deeper. So being such a an end to end solution for these these property owners and investors, what's been like uh, you know, as a CEO, as a as an operator, what's been like the hardest part of go to market and like uh, and reaching these uh, these real estate owner operators with a with a free solution? Like, what, what's the hard part of your go to market strategy? Yeah, I mean, the reality is, is it sort of sells itself. So the hard part is getting them in the door. Yeah, um, and you know, the challenge there, I think, is is similar to how I described. Chris, our founding CEO, is like the prototypical customer. You know, he doesn't walk around with like his professional identity being, I'm a real estate investor, right? Like his professional identity is, I work in business and he's had a variety of jobs. Yeah. But at the time, it was like, I'm a consultant or I'm in private equity or uh, I'm a technology executive, I'm a founder, uh, right? And so for this class of customer, right, of these the 8 to 10 million people in the United States, right, they're lawyers, they're doctors, they're dentists, they're contractors, they're engineers, they're product managers, they're whatever, right? They're, they have some other professional identity and that's who they are. And this part of their 
of their of their sort of financial network is sort of in the background. So how do you go find them? Right. That's that's the challenge. You find like kind of greater adoption and greater appeal with a, a like a younger digital native uh, group of of customers, or are are you seeing people of kind of all ages, backgrounds, tech uh, skill set uh, want to adopt more tech enabled solutions for property management? Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely a broad spectrum, but we are seeing a couple of trends where. There is it's sort of an emerging class so over the fi- last five to 10 years with computers who are investing in real estate or real estate is a large part of their sort of retirement yeah. planning. And they, they think about like, this should be digital. This notebook, this going around and collecting the checks, this me knocking on doors and getting cash are behind it. So there's been this this narrative, I think it's kind of started pre-COVID and accelerated a little bit, that you have high earning, high income, high asset folks in expensive markets like San Francisco and, and New York who might still be running their primary um, or don't own in their, their home market, but want to invest elsewhere in the United States. And like you talked about Chris having properties across in, in multiple markets. And uh, do, do you see users that sit, that might live in San Francisco but want to invest in Des Moines or Birmingham or, or areas where the, the math might pencil out a little bit better on investing in real estate? few folks who come to mind. One gentleman who lives in New York, but his hometown is in, is in Georgia and he's been acquiring properties there. There was another... Uh, another investor I've been talking to who, you know, between San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York has had multiple jobs, but he's built his portfolio in Memphis. We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all of the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax, and Home Services, and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register. Let's talk about kind of the the health and state of of the residential housing market overall. So, in a lot of the data that you're seeing kind of cross through your platform, are you seeing any indicators as to the the health of the rental market or health of housing overall? Like, I'm kind of curious of your your take on the state of housing. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting question, right? Because like the health of the market so much varies based on like where you sit in the market. Right? So I, like I love healthy- that take. I, I think that's like I, everyone says like the housing market's in the shitter. The housing market's great. No, actually, depending on where you sit, it's a completely a different equation. But yeah, I like that take. Yeah, like if I'm a renter, then rents going up and a supply constrained market is not is terrible for me. If I'm an owner 
and rents going up is amazing for me. Uh, if I'm an aspiring owner, an investor, then I'm really interested in, all right, like, what is the cap rate? What are interest rates doing? And can I actually make a cash flow positive investment today? Um, and so it, it very much, and that's, that's not like a very high level, right? And then you get into like your geographical nuances. So even today where mortgage rates are 7%, I mean, there's a house across the street from me and offers in one week, five of which were 10% plus above asking price. Certain markets like city of Los Angeles, Los Angeles area, they're just not building much. People still want to live here. So like, is that a healthy market? Well, it is if you own the house. Is that a healthy market? Well, it's not if you're trying to buy yeah. the house. Yeah. Like unemployment is low. So I don't, you know, people talk about recession, people talk about high interest rates. I mean, I think overall, like this isn't a situation in my mind, like 2007, 2008, where we're going to see yeah. people who really got in over their skis. I mean, I think like the underlying fundamentals are relatively strong. People still need to live somewhere. Yeah, it's an astute observation. Even talking about the commercial real estate market is not a tight enough term to actually like talk about the health of commercial real estate. You got to get deeper into office and types of retail and types of multifamily. It's all going to be a d totally different stories and, and trend lines. Altos Research has been for sure. covering oh. inventory really closely and like in the available for sale single family market. Inventory has been trending down for several years and uh, at this kind of the precipice of the end of the spring, beginning of the summer home buying season, we're sitting at record low single family residential inventory. But we have seen a slight uptick, like really slight uptick in available for rent single family rental assets. Are you seeing that in any of your data or kind of hearing from um, uh, any of like the operators that you work with? Um, there are either more, more houses can be coming available for rent either because there's more inventory being created or there's more inventory that's sitting and not being rented out. So like, how do you kind of interpret that data and, and do you see that trend in the businesses that you're paying attention to? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not an area that I feel comfortable commenting on. I don't yeah. think we've seen anything consistent enough for me to be able to say with conviction, I have some insight that, that, that Aptos doesn't have or to add on to what they, I think I can say in terms of trends, like another trend that we're seeing that I forgot to mention is is among our customer base, so the real estate investors, like their real focus, generally speaking, uh, since it's a trend, but the real focus in this market environment is operations. So it's less about I'm going to go out and buy new homes. I'm going to build my portfolio. I'm going to count on appreciation. It's more let me take what I have and make sure I'm running that as efficiently as possible. So am I rent optimized? Am I cost optimized? Making sure that they're minimizing vacancy, that they're getting high quality renters in. You know, obviously like that's all stuff we can help with, but like that's the trend that we're seeing is is like let me go buy, let me go buy, let me go buy. I can count on appreciation. It really needs to pencil. Yeah. Let me make sure I'm maximizing for cash flow. And then I'm gonna go at some point I'm going to be much more thoughtful and strategic about investing. Yeah. I mean, I think the most astute investors like stayed focused on the net operating income and investing in cash flowing assets, but uh, markets can get frothy. So you talk about like the clients that Azebo serves <laughs> and they're very focused on uh, optimizing it at this stage of the market and making sure they're running efficient portfolios and maximizing rents and maximizing cash flow. 
the institutional investors love to steal the headlines and the conversations about the real estate markets. Do you have a take on kind of how institutionals are behaving similar or differently from the individual and kind of small portfolio investors that you work most closely with? Yeah. I mean, I think the main difference that we see is the way I think about if I'm an institutional and I have 500 units or 100 thousand units or 10,000 units. The way I think about my business or can think about my business is very different, right? Like if I have 10,000 units and I have a vendor coming to me and they're saying, hey, you can offer this thing to your tenants and I'm going to improve your vacancy rate or your occupancy rate, I should say, you're going to improve your occupancy rate from 95% to 95.5%. All right. If I have 10,000 units, I can do the math on what that means to me. If I have 10 units, that doesn't mean anything to me. What does is, what is 50 basis points of occupancy mean if I have 10 units? It doesn't mean anything. So it's it's just like it's a much different way of thinking about things at that different level of scale. And so for 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 our customers, it's I want quality tenants and I want full houses. Like that's that's what it is. It's less about the, well, I have 10,000 units, so all right, like what is the elasticity of rent? And if I increase rents by $50, then all right, make it, maybe my occupancy goes down by 50 basis points, but net net, that's an increase in my NOI. Like none of that stuff works when you have five units or 10 units. So that's the big difference we see in how people think about their businesses. So when you see a lot of headlines about prop tech and financial services and what that enables institutional investors to do, like that math only really works when you're at scale. And yeah. so it's just a fundamentally different way of thinking about running your business. All right. So half a point higher in occupancy might not help somebody who owns 10 units, but I think rent growth can be a, a benefit to the, the 10 unit uh, investor just as much as it can the 10,000 unit investor. We've also seen in Altos research that uh, there's been a reacceleration in rents kind of since the the start of the year. There seemed to be some softness in our in our rental data in the second half of of 2022, and now we see this reacceleration coming through at a national level. Obviously, every market behaves a little bit differently, but at a national level, um, a reacceleration. What are you seeing inside of the the investors that you work with and the the homes that you track from a rent growth perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think this comes back to sort of the trend I was seeing. We were talking about earlier about sort of people focusing on optimization yeah. and where there's an opportunity to take rent growth. Like, I think people are jumping on it now. Um, I think overall across the data that we've seen, like we haven't really seen average rents change in any material way, but sort of anecdotally, what we're hearing is where there's an opportunity to take rent growth, people are taking rent growth. Now, again, getting back to the difference between our typical customer and an institutional customer, right? For our customers, um, occupancy is generally more important than optimizing rents because they can't spread Right again, like to go back to that like price elasticity, like elasticity math works at scale, doesn't quite work at five units or 10 units. And since a lot of these folks are doing this as a side job, so to speak, like there's a price to pay for peace of mind. Yeah. And so giving up 
20 bucks or 50 bucks a month of rent in order to have a really high quality tenant who's going to be in there for two or three years and is going to treat your property with care and is not going to call you every day. Like that may be worth that those few extra dollars. Because again, they're also not doing the math. I mean, for a lot of SFRs, you can't do the math of, all right, an increase in my NOI of X divided by a cap rate of Y means an increase in appreciation of Z. And then I can go refi that out and like, that doesn't really yeah. work at the SFR level. So like all that kind of really like financial engineering in the weeds, like forced appreciation stuff that works really well for large institutionals doesn't necessarily always make sense for the the sort of like independent real estate investor. Yeah, it's uh, we're kind of going back to the topic of office, and that's been that was kind of the office strategy for years. We'll see if that holds. Is you'd rather have a a full price tenant in at the right time, even if it takes months or years to get them there, because that's how you're going to maximize NOI for ultimate uh, refinance or or asset sale. Where if you're building a 10, 20, 50,000 unit SFR portfolio, it's a different game. You're trying to build long-term wealth, long-term cash flow for your mm-hmm. family, not recap and sell ASAP. Yeah. So yeah. Totally now there are people, there are people in, in our customer base who take the more like recap, sell, turnover, do deals. Like that's, there is a class of folks who are not necessarily institutional, but are on the higher end of independent who do this kind of stuff. But no, like your typical independent real estate investor is I have 10 units, 15, 20 units. I want consistent cash flows. This is going to be an asset in a portfolio that I'm going to keep over 30, 40, 50 years, pass it down and just have sort of generational wealth building. So at Azebo, since you are seeing financial transactions from, from tenants, can you speak at all to kind of the the health of the renter and uh, any trends that you're seeing in terms of of payments um, on on time, delinquents. Like, what are you seeing in the data that kind of helps us better understand the health of the renter? Yeah. So, as I mentioned, I talked about the Credit Boost product. We've seen a much sort of much more interest in that product increasing over the last year, and I think that's probably driven by both sort of like the interest rate environment that we're in, but also tightening credit conditions where is three, four years ago, right? There was a wide, wide availability of sort of subprime credit. You could go buy a car, you could go buy a motorcycle, you can refinance. Like now, like you may not be able to get a loan. Uh, Setting aside the price, you may not be able to get one. So I think, and then also I think there's a much you know, people think much differently about like interest rate optimization and what their credit score can mean when you're thinking about like eight versus twelve percent than when you're talking about you know like three versus four percent. Um, so that's one trend that we're seeing. Um, we're seeing, I think, so far across the entire spectrum, like relatively consistent amounts of payments being going on card. There's some fluctuation. But we haven't seen like a dramatic uptick, I think, in the number of 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 renters who are putting their payments on credit card, which could be a sign of distress. And likewise, you know, in terms of like late and the percentage of people who are late, overall, we haven't seen any like major major changes in that metric that we track on a monthly basis. But I think the credit piece is the one that's the most interesting to me, and seeing that 
hey, at this point in any like cohort of tenants who are signing up, we're up to like 15 to 18% of people signing up for this product, which is significantly higher than it was six to nine months ago. And I think there's just like a bigger awareness of like, this is something that's, again, like in a 5% interest rate world versus a two or a 0% yeah. interest rate world, like it's just much more important. I also, I mean, I have to kind of take that read and also wonder if low housing inventory and high home price appreciation may have more potential home buyers on the sideline in the rental market, working on improving their credit, working on getting their financial life in order to, you know, to, to not be kind of sidelined homeowners at some point. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to imply that every renter is someone who's going to enter the the homeownership market, but uh, it is a conversation that we hear day in and day out from the real estate agents, brokers, and lenders that that we talk to about kind of their their uh, their pent up demand. Yeah, no, I think especially in in certain markets where there's just not a lot of inventory, and then again, like you have this whole this whole vintage of home buyers or refires who are sitting on, but like sub 3% or sub 3.5% mortgages and they got the golden handcuffs. Like they're not going to move. So like that's <laughs> a lot of inventory that's not turning over. Um, I, I won't, I so won't a lot of our lead analyst, uh, Logan Motoshami on you. Logan is a, uh, a, a diehard um, non-believer in uh, the interest rate lockdown theory. Um, we, we debate internally quite often if that uh, actually exists or not. I think it's it's one thing if you're talking about like, well, I bought at three and a half and now it's four. But if you're like, I'm at two and a half and now it's seven. I mean, that like you get half the house. Dude, right? because <laughs> I'm I'm in the lockdown camp. Like I've got a interest rate with a two handle on it. And it didn't take a lot to uh to make me want to leave that that mortgage product, especially for something that would probably lock at seven percent today. Um yeah. yeah, no, that's uh I, I understand the lockdown camp. Uh Logan's take is that. He's very data centric, right? And like the mm-hmm. Logan's take is historically the the lockdown handcuffs get uh broken really quickly um as as soon as people um date mate and need more space. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, yeah. I guess in general, we've also seen right over the last twenty or thirty years, uh, like interstate mobility has gone down. So you know what is what is the actual like trend? And what are the macro trends and how much of it is interest rate versus just sort of like general people aren't moving as much as they used to. All right. Awesome. Because thanks for giving us a glimpse into Zebo, the story and some of the data that you see through through your business and time leading a technology company in the in the rental market. Re- really cool to learn more about Zebo. No, thank you. This has been a really fun conversation. Hey, and before we go, I have to also drop that you are also a podcast host. You have a, a new show. Uh, I was listening to a few episodes. You're eight episodes in. Um, mm-hmm. What's been the most surprising part of hosting a podcast for you? Like, uh, we, we did like the CEO to CEO conversation. Now let's do the podcast host to podcast host conversation. What's been the most uh, kind of uh, surprising part of hosting a show for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the most surprising part of hosting a show has been. I think the the sort of accessibility it gives you. I mean, it's it's a great way to enter a conversation with folks. And now we have people approaching us saying, "Hey, can I be a guest on your podcast?" Just like it's a great door opener. Uh, I think that's one. I think the second part is I didn't realize how much fun it would be. 
it's just so much fun. Like, I love these conversations. I'm learning so much. Um, and I'm meeting so many cool people and I'm hearing so many interesting stories. And I think like the one big thing that I've learned or not learned, but it's become really clear to me from, uh, you know, from the eight conversations I've had is like, there is no one right way to invest in real estate. Cause we have one guest who talks about I'm all in one market and my, my, you know, my competitive advantage is I know this market cold. Yep. And then the next guest is like, I'm in 15 markets. And I just want the right deal. If the deal pencils, I want that deal. And I believe in geographic diversification anyways. And then we have another person who's like, I want really high quality properties and really high quality tenants. And we get another person who's like, I buy B and C class properties and I make my money by rehabbing them and driving forced appreciation. It's like, they're all very valid strategies. I think the key thing and the key takeaway that I've learned is like as long as you have alignment between like what you're looking for, what your capital uh, capabilities are, what your risk tolerance is, all that drives between that, your strategy, and then how you execute. As long as that's in alignment, yep. you're in good shape. But that can look very different for a whole wide range of people. That that's a fascinating observation. I'm excited to listen to more episodes and hear hear some of these stories. For folks that haven't uh, listened yet, it's called Hacking Real Estate. Um, I found it on uh, on Apple Podcast. Um, same place you can find Housing News. Because thank you so much. Thank you, Clayton. Take care. And that is a wrap for today's episode. Before we break, I want to bring awareness to things happening at HW Media that I care a lot about. These are things that we're investing a lot of time and resources into, and I think you should be aware of them because they will help you and your business. The first thing I want to raise some awareness to are our two HW Media events. First is the Gathering of Eagles. The Gathering of Eagles has been hosted by Real Trends and put on for over 30 years at this point. This year, we're bringing the event to Austin, Texas, June 18th through 21st at the Omni Barton Creek Resort. This is HW's real estate brokerage and sales-focused event, but it brings together executives from across the housing ecosystem to forge opportunities and develop ways to work together to better serve home buyers and sellers, both in their brokerage needs, as well as their financing, insurance, and other core services needs. Incredible event. I hope you'll check it out on Real Trends or on Housing Wire. Two, Housing Wire Annual. Housing Wire Annual this year is October 10th through 12th, also in Austin, Texas, at the Hyatt Lost Pines Resort. This is our event to bring together the entire housing community to talk about what's happening in mortgage. This is not the place to whine and talk about your problems. This is the place for winners to gain more market share and develop strategies that help them build their businesses faster than any benchmark that they or their peers can set. Join us at Housing Wire Annual to set forward the strategies, partnerships, and uncover the opportunities to help you grow your mortgage and real estate business faster than you ever imagined. And that's it. That's a wrap for today. Check out Housing Wire Annual. Check out Gathering of Eagles. These are resources and opportunities that will serve you well. Have a great day.